pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mentel, a.k.a. Menas. And joining me for this edition of the show, I have Paul, the summer game. Dennett, how are you, Paul? Very good, Menas. Tired from watching late night cricket in Wimbledon, but very happy. Yeah, good to see you. We caught up on the phone um, last week and had a chat about uh, the interview I did with Elise Villani, and we mentioned the other panellist in the room, Gav Joshi. How are you, Gav? I'm very well, Menes. I've uh, over my jet lag and feeling nice and comfortable now in Australia after those few months away and enjoyed the podcast last week and looking forward to another show. It's good to have you back. Uh, Now, you're a freelance cricket writer, and I wanted to ask you, how do you find the lifestyle of travelling around from sort of tournament to tournament and that sort of unsettled nature of, you know, moving around all the time? How do you find that? Yeah, it's 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 unique in a way. You, I sort of you can't be too picky about where you want to go. But I love something like Champions Trophy because you get to engage with journalists from all around um, the cricketing world, and also doing some important test series. You do some. I love doing the IPL again because you interact with with players from all around the world. You get that media chance. So. Yeah, I, lo- I love the freelance world uh, because you can just sort of go around the world and enjoy cricket, and that's what, as a journalist, you want to do. Do you ever find it lonely, that sort of uh, constant uh, travel away from sort of having a home base, you know? It's obviously hard for you to maintain a relationship for many reasons, but also the travel. <laughs> <laughs> it does become hard, but, uh, but I enjoy it. I mean, when you're traveling around the world watching cricket, how good can it be and you just get to meet different people so it's just not about the cricketing side it's all about engaging you find out you know the politics of the game in South Africa and what players are emerging to England what's happening over there and even you find a lot of Australian players or coaches and and just fans over in England that you get you engage with and same case if you're in India or or wherever so mate I really enjoy it no complaints cricket is a great way of relating to you know, people in the broader cricket community that you might not, you know, run into or talk to. It's a good way of engaging um, and meeting different types of people. Yeah, and it's just a way, you know, people's views are, you know, persevered all across the world. That here, here we are, Paul, the great man. You know, not many people know that he's on, you know, Indian television every sort of week, and people know who he is um, because he, he's a face on TV. While here, you don't get to see him; you only get to hear him on the podcast. Yeah, you got millions of viewers in India watching Star Sports. Paul, Paul's embarrassed now. He's, he's turned red, but it doesn't come through on a podcast. Well, we've got a lot to get through in this edition of the show. We've got headlines, my favourite segment. Then we've got Mad Menners. We've got a wrap of the Women's World Cup. And then we're going to wrap it all up with what's made us happy in the cricketing week. But let's start with Andrew Mentzel's headlines, brought to you by our fantastic Patreon subscribers and sponsors. If any of you want to sponsor the show on Patreon, just put in the Australian Cricket Podcast, and you will be sponsoring the headlines segment. So let's start the big headline, and this is something, as cricket podcasters, we love. It is ICC rule changes. Now, these rule changes come into effect from October the 1st, and the first uh, major rule, rule change has to do with DRS, a decision review um, system, and that is, we've suggested before, but now if you make, call for a referral and the decision comes back as umpire's call and you're, you're not successful in your referral, then you do not lose a review uh, because obviously the margin for every error is very small. So what do you guys think? Positive change? Well, I think the first half of it is a positive change and the second half that you're going to get to is a very negative change. So I'm happy that they've made that first change though. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, it, sometimes it's such a marginal call and I think it's a, it's a little bit unfair uh, for the bowling team or the batting team if they miss out on that review. The second one, well... So the you... second change is that now after 80 overs, your reviews aren't topped up. So if yeah, you use I... all of them before the 80 overs, you don't get any more reviews. I, uh, see, the problem I have with the review system at times it, it it's become so tactical which is also a good thing but you know sometimes when this game needs to be sped up it at, at times you find it's the 70th or the 79th over yeah 79th over you've got one review or two reviews up your sleeve chances are it's quite slim but you know go ahead and take it when clearly it's it's so such an optimistic review that's when you want okay let's get the game to move on Paul you disagree though yeah I mean I accept that occasionally that can be an issue but I think just in general we're going to have a situation where 
say a batting side has, has put on a, a, a major innings into day two, the fielding side's long lost their two reviews, and there will be uh, a clear howler. They won't be able to review it, and it will result in bad blood, um, a, a changed result. And for what? Um, because if a review is taken, I think it's amongst the most captivating things of, of, of the TV viewing experience. Mm-hmm. And if it's a frivolous review, it will be dealt with very in, in very short order. I think they've just been too clever here. It's not as though you get to accumulate your reviews. If you've got two reviews at the end of 80 overs, you don't get four now. It just gets reset to two. And I think I don't think this rule change will last. I think in a couple of years, they'll bring it back in. Paul's hit the nail on the head. It's all about broadcasting powers at the moment. That's how cricket is going. That's how sport is, is going. And it's about entertaining the person at home and even at the stadium because the minute you are there and you're watching the ball tracker at a ground and you know, you've know you got 70,000 people, 80,000 people just holding their breath going, oh, what's going to happen? Which is great for the public. So, And that's what the game is about. After 80 overs, Paul's hit the nail on the head again by saying you're not adding to those reviews. After... After 80 overs, you lose them, um, which is good. I mean, sometimes, as you mentioned, you know, 100 overs, 110 overs, especially in the first innings, is becoming norm into the game unless you're playing but, over but in England. what was the thinking behind this? So we're going to improve the rule and take away that umpire's call thing where you might lose your reviews because you're off by a fraction of a millimetre. So we're going to improve the rule. But then on one hand, we're actually, uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to stop you using it after you lose them. So we're just going to put a cap on it. So it seems to me like flawed logic that they're trying to make it better, but then right at the end they go, but just we'll add this in. It's because they haven't thought it through. They've said, okay, we're, we're, we're cleaning up that half of the rule. So now if you lose a review, it's because the review was frivolous. Therefore, um, you don't deserve to get them topped up. And that's not the case because you can make a review that is um, quite a reasonable review. The ball's shown to be, you know, it's a green yeah, light. noise that's something else or something. Yeah, or an LBW. It's green light. It's pitching outside leg stump by a millimetre and otherwise um, would have been a yellow light. The, and again, also, they overstate the importance of not having reviews. This belief that they were only brought in to stop the howler, I think it's we've evolved beyond that. Yeah. Last last night in the in the cricket, England had a caught behind off Amlar, which they didn't review. The commentators, do, as they always do, waited till the technology showed that they should have reviewed it and then criticised them for not having uh, made the review. So you, you, they're criticising the players for not reviewing um, when it wasn't a howler. I mean, the umpire couldn't be blamed for not giving it out because the bowler barely appealed, yet the players still get criticised mm. for not exercising the review. And as I said before, I think it's really entertaining when the reviews are, are made and it doesn't really waste much time. All right, so we're giving that thumbs up to half the rule change, thumbs down to the other half. Um, DRS will now be used in T20 internationals. I think that's a good thing. We're seeing the importance of those games uh, move up. So why not have one referral allowed for each team? Bat sizes are limited to now 108 millimetres in width, 67 millimetres depth, and 40 millimetre edges. So, Gab, does that mean you've got to take your bat back to the shop and get it for a smaller one? Um, I wouldn't be able to lift any of these bats. That's my problem. <laughs> There's so nothing wrong with my bat. I'm more of a, you know, just a timer of the ball, and that's what I like to see. Nudger. Uh, yeah, a bit of a nudger. Yeah, like the Simon Caddy Risky, type. very yeah, risky, Gab. Exactly. But um, I think it had to happen. Definitely. Like, the- I, it was just getting out. And this is why I've loved the, you know, we'll talk about the Women's World Cup, and that's why I love watching the Women's World Cup sometimes, because it's just not completely about... But have they gone far how- enough? Well, should they have made the bat smaller? Maybe that that's like a stump pro- size. Well, like stump size. Well, See how good are you? Can you match up to Bradman? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's the next. That's the track they're heading down. You know, let's try bringing. It's it's like we're talking about DRS. Let's make it that sort of howler style. That's what we've sort of come to implement it for. And now we've moved beyond it. So probably this is just a starting point. I know someone is going to try and bend this rule, so I can't wait till someone is walking out there, some West Indian uh, tailender, and he's just picked up some tree trunk, not had it measured, and the umpires are like, oh, we've got to weigh this, we've got to measure it. Uh, that's going to be riveting TV, won't it, Paul, when they pull out the tape measure? Reminds me of what happened to Bill Ponsford in the 1930s when he was nicknamed as having a... He was, he was renowned for having such a wide bat. And then Bradman took great delight in his autobiography of saying that the one day someone jokingly took out the gauge to measure it and Bradman said it failed to pass. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in another rule, 
umpires can now send someone off that's got through now. So a, a question going back in history, I don't know if you remember when Jarvan, me and dad and Dennis Lilly had an altercation, I think at the Wacker. Younger listeners might remember, but DK basically kicked Jarvan in the pad and then me and dad picked up his bat to hit him. I'll ask you, Paul, because I know you've seen it. Do you think that was a red card offence? In my defence, I have seen it, but I wasn't old enough to remember it. I am not. I'm, I mean, you know, I just want to establish that I was almost old enough. Um, yeah, I think it probably would be, and it would probably one that would be regarded as a little bit unfortunate because I don't think there was too much in that. Yeah. These rules have mainly been brought in, I think, for the lower level where there's some poor umpires on a windswept field getting absolutely abused. Correct. I think at the international level, if it did occur, it would be very, very rare and probably a little bit of a technicality, but it's probably a good thing to have in there just in case. Someone would have to really lose their rag. Yeah, well, for any physical abuse, like you mentioned, Javid, me and Dad, actually, there was kicking involved or the one Rabada got done for, and we'll talk... How good would that have been to see Javid, me and Dad sent off? It would have been Lily got sent off. And they would have both taken... Well, they would have both taken... Javid would have taken his team off as well. No, because it would have been Lily sent off and Javid would have been smiling and saying... He pulled the bat up to whack (laughs) But he didn't do it. I thought yeah. we were going through something like from 40 years ago. Yeah. So uh, red cards, it's, it's where the, when you said it's going to come in. So what constitutes a red card? It'll probably be a fast bowler though, won't it? it, it would, he crosses the line, he gets the well, red mist, he starts abusing someone. Well, I, I, rather than fast bowlers, yes, that's also true. It, it's a lot with batsmen as well these days, especially running between the wickets when you can't change the line and you've had a lot of contacts between the batsman and the bowler where... He cannot change his line, and that's the reason, you know, he probably copped an elbow. It could be deliberate. It could not be. It's very hard to conclusive to tell. And I think that might be a little bit of a, a grey area that's coming into the game now as well. We could see a combination of DRS and this rule where they refer like a shoulder charge. And like, is that a red card <laughs> offence? <laughs> but I, I, still, I do think it is going to be at some local ground somewhere where some, some guy has just gone crazy and started abusing and whatever else that, that the umpire can actually say, okay, get off the field. Um, it would be brave umpire to do it, I suppose. But that's, I think that's where it's more likely to happen. And one other rule now, and I think a very sensible rule, is now that uh, if you, it's a run-out rule change. If you, if you ground your bat behind the line, but then it bounces up, and then they take the bails off, you can't be given out, which makes sense. I mean, that was always a bit of an anomaly. And I felt, you know, if you're a batsman and you get past the line, but you, you hit something in the ground and it bounces up and you were given out, that was... The only Unlucky. problem with this is that it should have been brought in in 1870. They're only about 140 yeah. years too late. The, the only problem well said. I, I have with it is, is diving to get back in is also a unique skill now. And if there are players who actually don't know how to do it properly. And if they don't know how to do it properly, then they should be penalised. Well, the assumption here, though, is that you've done but, it properly to start with. Well, I think the other reason why this was also brought in is because when a batsman literally just goes past the crease even leisurely, and he's made his ground comfortably, and somebody throws it wildly, he tends to jump. And when if he jumps and he hits the stumps, that's why it's been brought in. I don't think... No, that, was already, that, was, that had already been brought in. No, no, it, it, was it? Yeah, I, I mean... I'm, I'm... I'm pretty sure that that was something that was brought in a few years ago, that if you jumped to avoid being um, hit, that it was not going to be out. But as long as you've grounded your bat, because my understanding is if you've, when we might have to go back to the rule book here, man. Since you're nothing the, like starting a cricket podcast with a rule argument well, <laughs> about grounding your bat. Well, well, you're the host, so you have to investigate this for next week. Or, I will be. Yeah, so what is the actual rule? Because my understanding is if you're grounded your bat, um, and what constitutes you grounding it and, you know, evading a throw? A fielder might say, well, how do you know he was comfortably in? He might have been just stretching out. So there's something for we you to, to research. Or, or, but I'm happy with those rule changes generally. Uh, they're a positive. Now, next headline. So that's it for the ICC rule changes. Listeners, wake up now. Paul was on English radio this week and said to the English host, write South Africa off at your peril referring to the second test between England and South Africa. And I very sensible, Paul, because after the first test, England steamrolled South Africa. It was all, all the English journalists were carrying on like they were such a, you know, England were on fire, they were going to steamroll them. But we all saw that South Africa have much deeper qualities than perhaps they saw after the way South Africa beat Australia during the summer. And, Paul, you picked it. South Africa are well on top of this second test, looking like uh, levelling the series. Yeah, and I think the thing was that the first test, a couple of little things went against South Africa of, of their own doing, but they were, they were, you know, they dropped catches, wickets off no balls, poor reviews. 
there. Uh, Losing Vernon the toss didn't help. Losing the toss was massive. Vernon Philander getting his hand injured, which contributed to him not being effective in the second innings and also dropping a catch. You know, if all of those things went in South Africa's favour in the first test, they would have thrashed England in the first test, which is bizarre given that they got thrashed. But it's a fine, it's a game of fine margins, so it just seems silly that people were talking about England and, winning 4-0. Yeah, and Faf Duplessis back. And we've as, yeah. uh, heard about uh, Chris Morris has already talked about, you know, he means so much to that team. He's an inspirational leader. And I'm surprised that South Africa don't give him the one-day role. I mean, I think they've got to go past AB. We don't even know what AB de Villiers' future is. It's certainly, it's not there, I think. In it's te- in the IPL. Clearly. So then, and Faf, given the way that the players speak about him, about him playing in that Proteus, you know, shirt or, or that cap, it means so much. So if that's the case, if he's showing so much, and I think Faf is intelligent. I think he's a better man manager from what I've heard across from different journalists. I've heard but, he was born to lead. Yeah, while well, ABD Villiers is very instinctive. Like it's almost like he's facing a ball that out of nowhere he will pull out the reverse sweep. I think captaincy is a lot about man management, and uh, Chris Morris said that just after day two and credited Faf because if it wasn't for Faf, he said, we don't know how we would have come back into that test match, especially after a poor start when Joe Root and Gary Balance was basically taking them to the cleaners. So Faf's made a huge difference as well. Um, and look, it's a fantastic test series. And England, I think we were just talking about before came on, I, I think they have serious concerns when the opposition wins the toss and scores 350 or in excess of 400. I think they get pressurised by by the scoreboard and looking up saying they trail by 350-odd. And, and to be honest, Alistair Cook and, and and Joe Root and possibly Johnny Bairstow are probably, you know, the world-class batsmen. Apart from that, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, they're not looking too strong coming into the Ashes. Well, I think they, they've got, as as uh, Gav mentioned, those three world-class batsmen. They've got a few others, that Ali and Stokes, who are, are pretty handy. And their bowling, the, I think their big problem in Australia is going to be their bowling because yeah. mm. Jimmy Anderson's record in Australia is poor. He had one good series out here and two very poor series. It's hard to see at age 35 on our wickets that he's going to have a, a wonderful series. Broad, I think, could do quite well. Yep. Mark Wood, he's too inaccurate and he, he could be very good on occasions and others not so. Wokes is one that will, if he comes back, will be pretty effective. I think they'll have a decent side coming down to Australia, but you would expect that they'd be more likely to lose. One thing on Faf, oh, on AB de Villiers, did you guys see his tweet after England lost, England won the first game? That um, he, he tweeted out something about the cricket, but then straight away was tweeting about um, South real. African Idol. Um, yeah. So it was um, it was South African The Voice. Yeah. So it was really Watching really heavily invested TV, in the cricket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a reality check for most of South Africa. AB is not going to be around. No. Now the next headline. The Australian Cricket Podcast is coming up on its four-year anniversary and its 200th episode. So our first episode aired on August 21st, 2013. As a point of reference, Can't Bowl, Can't Throw, which is another excellent cricket podcast, aired its first episode on 15th of November, 2013. So a few months after Uh ours. Um, This is a reminder, get in your emails and your memories of the show because we're putting together a big spectacular 200th episode, four-year anniversary, whatever it's going to be. Congratulations, men. Well done. Getting there. Uh, next next headline, and this is a, a one that's really, I think, unified the cricket community because there's a lot of dissension towards this decision to suspend Kagizo Rabada from the second test, and that was because an audible swear word was picked up on the stump mic. It resulted in a point being docked from his penalty point decision so now he's suspended for a test match and I'm going to put the question to you should the stump mics just be used for the third umpire no Did, no the, the stump mic should be used what they've always been used for is to enhance the viewers um, experience and uh, they they're meant to be turned off as soon as the the sort of the business end of the ball has has been completed maybe in this case they should have turned the microphone off um, more quickly but I don't think that we should rob the millions of viewers around the world for, for the sake of something like this. But what comes through the stump mic? This is what I don't understand. You don't, you don't hear... The, the effects of the bat on ball. See, see, one big problem with that, Paul, is there's the world feed and there's the local feed in terms of broadcasting. I think a lot of the times when we've had these glaring issues um, about what's been caught you know, on stump mics, a lot of them have come from a world feed where there's no advertising between overs and that's when there's sort of... A, you know, this silence there, yeah. and the broadcasters have been able to, or the viewers have been able to listen what's been tuned in on the 
on the microphone. So I'm not sure how broadcasting works in that manner, but you're absolutely right. Like after the sixth ball is bowled, it should be turned off. But I think it's turned off after each ball is bowled. Look, put it this way. If they made it that, that it's only for the third umpire, it would last a day because everyone would be watching and see the batsman hit a four and hear no sound and think, that's ridiculous. I'm suddenly back to the 1960s. But I think that you would get sound from other mics. Oh, yeah, but it's it, it's one of the things that Channel 9 did when they took over from ABC was put the stump mics in yeah. and it was one of the great um, innovations in, in broadcasting. It would be it would be like going back, back to black and white TV. It's just absolutely never going to happen. What about an adults only feed? So we you, you know on every every cricket coverage there's a, a feed that you if you're over 18 you can subscribe to and you get un, unfiltered stump mics. So you got Maddie Wade, you know, chirping away with swear words. You, you just absolutely maybe it all may, holds barred. May, maybe day and night test match the final session 8:30. Yeah. Adults only yeah. <laughs> trash talking from the slips. Make a real show of it. That would liven up the game. We talk about getting people uh, to watch Test Cricket again. Final headline from Headlines. Uh, now, there was a worrying incident during the week where an English domestic player, Luke Fletcher, got hit in the head by a, a ball hit back at him during a, a T20 blast game. And uh, I don't know, you guys must have seen it. It was a really disturbing incident. And afterwards, there were all these things. Of, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Paul and I spoke about this during the, the Big Bash. There are solutions. They are working on sort of helmets for pitchers in baseball that are a snug fitting, almost like a bike helmet, but smaller. Can you see a day when you have bowlers in T20 games wearing this sort of protection? Well, umpires are wearing it. Uh, we've got we've seen the Oxenford, shield uh, Oxenford with, with with his shield Iron Man. Um, I saw I saw a WBBL games. Of course, it was for a different purpose. But Deanda Dotton playing for the West Indies, she used a a facial mask. Now that was to protect her face. But I'm saying almost like a football style headgear where it could protect you. I'm not sure if the bowler is going to be too comfortable. You know, being weighed down by. It could be lightweight equipment, but to actually run in, um, and and it's interesting. It's it's they've made a big deal out of it now, but it's been happening. I know in two thousand and three during a warm up match, Yuvraj uh, Singh actually hit a net bowler uh, in in a practice game, and it actually deflected off his head and actually went to the boundary. Now, luckily, it was just a a, a strong blow, but the bowler didn't feel any effect of it so it's been happening for a long time but especially now in modern day when you've got those heavy bats and you've seen players it doesn't matter who's bowling to them charging out and possibly making contact with the ball good three or four meters down the track so, so they should be wearing this sort of equipment well it's it's it, it should be given up to the bowler if you he can doesn't get want to used wear to it. it you can get used to wearing headgear especially in t20 i mean i suppose there'd be an argument you could wear it in t20 only when you've only got four overs and there's much more likelihood of the ball coming back like that wouldn't eliminate it because it's still possible in test cricket the solution i suggested i think men is and i think you really thought it was one of the stupidest ideas i'd ever come up with and that's probably saying something but why can't they at least research making the ball softer. Um, everyone laughs, but they made a pink ball that no one said it was possible. We've got a very clever bunch of scientists in the world. If you could keep the characteristics of the ball essentially unchanged and make it 10% softer or whatever it needed to be such that a blow that would otherwise be really, really serious wouldn't be, you'd have an incident where batsmen, instead of getting a broken finger, might not. I certainly would have enjoyed the game a lot more if it was, the ball was a bit softer. Well, yeah. Yeah, you know, here's the obligatory cowardice accusation. Was Paul the netballer that got hit in the head by you, Brad Singh? I mean, I think we've got enough balls, a problem with the balls at the moment. They're just not swinging. Kookaburra have got big issues. But, well... Look, it's an idea. Look, I like helmets better. I like helmets better. It's definitely an idea. And considering, you know, sports are always evolving, you never know. But I like the fear factor. I mean, <laughs> otherwise you and me will be keen enough to face Brett Lee in the net. I'm not sure with 10% softness, maybe 40% softness. <laughs> uh, but uh, look, I mean, and that's one part where probably in the women's game sometimes where because we don't see the real quick bowlers coming in and bounces are not huge part of the game and I'm, I'm sure this will change I think we're going to see more women bowling quicker and quicker uh, but fear factor counts for for a lot of things in cricket especially as a batsman definitely well that was headlines 
We're going to take a short break and then we're going to be back with a Women's World Cup wrap. Uh, while we're taking a break, uh, have a listen to Nicole Bolton, the Australian women's cricket team opener, talking about what the team could work on ahead of the semi-final. I think um, our bowling units definitely come back real strong from the England match. I think you saw against India and again today, um, they've just been on song. So I think, you know, to continue that, build that pressure, particularly with some of Indian's batters who are actually performing and hitting the ball really well. Um, again, consolidating that real good start at the top of the order um, and hopefully finishing probably a little bit stronger. I think we left a few runs out there today. So, you know, we'll be looking not to leave any balls out there. You're listening to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm here with Paul and Gavin. That was Nicole Bolton speaking in England. So great news. The Australian women's cricket team are through to the semifinals. They will face India, South Africa and England playoff in the other semifinal. The big news, though, is... Pre-tournament Dark Horses New Zealand have missed the semi-finals. They collapsed to 79 all out against India in their final group game. And I guess while it's a disappointment for New Zealand cricket, it's a massive boost for women's cricket that India are in the semi-finals. Absolutely. Now, men, as I was just on the way back from Champions Trophy, I was in India for four days, and what I was astonished by was the, the number of viewers for the women's game. It was India against Pakistan, and at the same time, the match was overlapped with India's one-day international against the West Indies. And for about that hour and a half, for maybe about, say, 30, 40 minutes of that, there were more viewers watching the women's game, which is great because that's what you got to get spread the women's game. But the women's game, we already know how strong it is in Australia and likes of England and even New Zealand. Um, but if it can spread across in the subcontinent, who knows? You know, we might be three or four years away from having... We've already got the WBBL. We could have the WIPL. But that's fantastic, as you mentioned. I think India going through just makes a bigger sort of advertisement for the mm. game of cricket in subcontinent. And I think we need that. Well, they still talk about the 1983 World Cup that India won in England as being one of the greatest moments for cricket in in history because it, yeah. it changed the way that India viewed cricket. They suddenly thought, actually, we can compete at the highest level and we can be dominant. And the cr- cricket, which was already massive there, has surged forward. I mean, a WIPL would be the best thing for, to, for, for the sport. And um, I'm not saying I want India to to win the World Cup because I want Australia to win it. But if, if they did win it, as you say, Manners, it would be fantastic. And it's, and it's creating headlines. You, you've seen Indian newspapers in the back pages, especially Indian men's team not playing at the moment. It's, it's you know, likes of uh, Mitali Raj, who broke the world record, uh, Smriti Mandana, we saw her here over playing for the Brisbane Heat. They're getting some recognition, which is fantastic for the game over there. So, you know, they've... And it looked great for Australia because New Zealand are one of our bogey sides. So the fact that they're out early uh, makes it much better for yeah, our run-in. I, I was very much surprised. At the start of the tournament, I had Australia, England and New Zealand penciled in. And I thought it was going to be a tussle between either India or South Africa to get that fourth spot. And, I mean, New Zealand were... One thing I've got to say, having watched a lot of this uh, World Cup, they haven't had a long a, a batting in terms of when they actually came out to bat for the duration of 50 overs. I think there was a game against Australia. Most of the time, they've been bowling first, taking out the opposition for, say, 120, 90, 140, and then they've had basically their batsmen come out like Susie Bates who've just taken the bowlers to the cleaners. This was their opportunity. They'd never had a chance to bat for a substantial period of time under pressure, Happened for the first time and they failed miserably. All out for 79. So New Zealand go home. Australia kick on. So look, there's a few issues for Australia heading into the semifinals. First one, Meg Lanning's shoulder has been troublesome. She sat out the final group game. Uh, Will she be okay for the semi and the final? Uh, That's a short-term concern, but long-term concern for me is she's only 25. What's her future like in the game if, if she's got this chronic shoulder problem now? Um, how long has she got left? Well, I mean, hopefully she can she can manage it, and hopefully she, I mean, she should never dive in the field, um, which is a hard thing to do. But you've got to be a bit pragmatic about these sorts of things. Yeah, it's interesting when you say dive across. When I spoke to Chris Lynn and I wrote that article for Fox Sports, I actually asked him, "How is it? Because you're so conscious." And he said, "It's very hard to do it in in a game situation because your natural instincts are actually to dive, and you're playing for Australia. It's actually during the practice session where it's some." elements of your training session can be modified to an extent. Um, about Meg Lanning, she's had this 
injury for a long time now, in long time and since since last year's WBBL, which is fielded at cover and she's just been throwing underarm, which she's been doing throughout the World Cup. And if it wasn't for the World Cup this year, I think she would have gone in, uh, gone under the knife. But because the, there is the World Cup, and of course she had to, you know, sort of manage it over time. I think it's a smart thing again. I think they've done really well so with it. Do you think she might go under the knife after the tournament yeah, I think and so. then miss potentially well, I, the well, summer well, coming up? Well, it might not be because, you know, we're into July. The WBBL won't be until December. So she might have four or five months of recovery. I don't know the extent of the damage, but I think so. I think that could potentially happen. She might come back for the later part of WBBL. Um, that's yeah, but I think they've managed it well. I mean, there was no need to play her on on Sunday on Saturday against South Africa. Australia were guaranteed. They didn't play her. I think I think the fourth game. I forget who who that yeah, was. She rested one other game. Yeah, so I think they've managed her really well. They need her for the next two matches, and um, well, you know, she's such an important. She's the best player in the world. So I think they've done pretty well. So that's a big concern, yeah, Paul. I was going to say what they should do if 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 it is an ongoing concern for Lanning as it is for Lynn. Uh, they should just say, if you dive, we're tearing up your contract. You're so important to <laughs> there us. There is no contract at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you're so important to us, especially Lanning. And Lynn potentially could be a test player for Australia. How much How much are they going to save us diving over the years? A single here, a run there, stop diving and, and, and have a proper career. Yeah, it's interesting. And both, I mean, both of them, well, especially Lin- Linny, he's done it more so in the field rather than batting. And if it and I said, well, would it hamper you from hitting sixes? And if it said, said if it started doing that, I would quit cricket. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I wanted to, the main problem that I've identified for this Australian women's team heading into the semis and final is a, a general inconsistency that I feel has sort of crept into areas of their game. So I think that the bowling has wavered in consistency throughout the group stages. Apart from the top four, batting then it's sort of fallen away on a couple of times when the lower order has been testing the fielding started shoddy but has improved as the tournament goes on so I think a, a key point for Australia is to get all this together now and tie tie up a, the perfect game get all those inconsistencies and get the bowlers and the whole batting lineup firing together I know it just seems at the moment that it, it's just been inconsistent struggling to really maintain rhythm throughout when they've been trying they haven't batted the 50 overs bowled a lot of wides so I think coming up against potentially England in a final that's their biggest danger yeah I think Australia need to be at basically given England's form at the moment at this World Cup need to be close to 100% if they're to beat them Against India, I think even 80% Australia is good enough to beat India. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there, there are some glaring issues. I agree with you. I know you've sent out a couple of tweets about this. I think Sarah Ali has to be uh, brought back into team. I think she, she's gold, especially in those death overs. I think she's a specialist. We saw that. I don't understand the thinking behind the selectors during this tournament. They have relied on trying to get overs out of the part-timers. Correct, yes. hasn't worked. They've had a long, long batting lineup, which... They don't need Batsman yeah. coming in at 9 and 10. What they need is a bowler who – and, and Elise Perry hasn't been bowling well, so yes. you don't want to have to rely on her whole 10 overs. So why they haven't had Vakawira or Ailey is surprising. Well, Ailey's the big thing for me. And I, I and she can handle the bat okay as well. She's good enough certainly to bat at, you know, say 9. And you've got Ash Gardner batting at 8, which I don't understand. She batted majority of the WBBL at number 3. She's such a powerful hitter. And her at sort of 6 and 7 – uh, along with Healy, and you've got Blackwell, the most capped Australian female in the in the current lot, and she's good enough to bat at number five, and she's got wealth of experience. Uh, if any changes matters, I, I I mean, Villani, she's been bowling pretty well. I mean, her dibbly dobblers, uh, if I can call them that, have, have done a, a a pretty good job throughout the World Cup campaign. If you are to fit Sarah Alley into the team, I would even look at even dropping Beth Mooney and getting promoting Villani up the top and then, um, you know, fixing the batting up, uh, the, well, you know, sort of making the bowling stronger in, in that sort of manner. That's my way of it. Uh, but so much strength down the bottom, as you said. I mean, against England, I think we shouldn't have never lost that game. We're batting power play. We scored 14 runs. You've had Villani at the crease and we had Perry at the crease. Um, but look, Australia good enough. And, uh, we need to peak at the right time. It's Absolutely. all very well and good to play well in the group stage in England, a good victory over Australia. But and, and, this is where it all counts. Yeah, and they're coming up against India in Derby, uh, which is, 
I'm hearing, I've heard that it might be a used pitch. And India's had a good record at Derby during the World Cup. I think that's where they've won all their games. Um, so that could, you know, be a little bit of a challenge. I think X Factor is someone like. So, I guess to ask you both, then, who who do you think has the most chance of causing an upset in the semi final? Would it be India? beating Australia or South Africa beating England? Funnily enough, I think it's probably more likely South Africa to upset England, yet if England do get through um, and Australia do get through, as you guys intimated, I think England are a chance of beating Australia uh, in the final. The, the reason that England are so good, that with Siva and Taylor, they've got two explosive players who on their day can absolutely destroy an opposition and that's where Australia could be uh, up against it in the final if they really tee off and go well. Where England have struggled has been their bowling. That although they've, um, you know, they've finished the group stage on top, the um, Indians gave their bowling a touch up. Even the South Africans, even though they lost, you know, England got three seventy and South Africa still got three hundred and five in response with um, a very very slow start. And even against Australia, England still conceded two hundred and fifty odd. So if South Africa happened to bat first in the semi final uh, and get some get a good score then um that's <laughs> pretty pretty obvious statement. Yeah, I, I think south africans probably got the best pace bowling department i mean they've got ismail there they've got marazin cap as, as well so in those sense if the ball if you get the ball swinging around a little bit i think in south africa win they can do some damage uh but i i, I agree with paul i think so you can't really see india oh, no, causing an upset i'm not ruling that out either i think that there's definitely a possibility so if india bat first and it, if it is a used pitch, then they could put Australia under pressure. But I think Australia, as I mentioned, 80% Australia is still good enough to beat most teams. And I think India uh, are one of those teams. Well, the, it's a good point because the odds for, for both games would indicate that the favourites are about a three-quarters chance of winning. So you think, oh, it's you know we're, we're going to get two pretty clear results here. But three-quarters times three-quarters is nine over 16. So that one-sixteenth... Uh, 116th less is 50%. So I'm basically saying it's almost a 50% chance that there will be an upset according to the betting. Uh, if that would have happened, like I would probably, well, obviously I would like to see England lose because that's my sort of general theme of the show. <laughs> but But for the good of women's cricket, I really would like to see England and Australia play off at Lords next yeah. Sunday in the final. I think... Despite the enjoyment I would get out of seeing England choke in the semi-finals, the the greater good is for English cricket to to have that that red letter day for women's cricket. So fingers crossed. Yeah, although I think your I agree with you, but your patriotism yeah. is showing through for the good of English for, for the good of women's cricket. It should be an England India final. No. Let's... <laughs> well, I don't, well, the quality of the game. I'm I floored think, by that statement. I, 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 I hadn't even considered that. I hadn't I, even considered that reality. I think we're going to see a very much a batting-friendly wicket at Lords. We want to see a lot of runs being scored. That's what. And if that's the case, the best two teams to have out there are Australia and England. Well, great segue into the next segment, Paul, because you fired me up. Mad Manners has come out to play. I needed some, some something to get me going, and the thought of Australia losing to India had set me off. So Mad Manners, next segment, let's start with the pay dispute. Generally, I think everyone's mad about the pay dispute now. It's got too far. Both parties are somewhat to blame for the, the mess we find Australian cricket in. So it's probably mad men, but Paul, you're probably not happy either. I agree. I think that's the point. That The fact that it's even a possibility that we're talking about the Ashes being cancelled, and I think we all think it's very, very unlikely, but you, you have to acknowledge it's on the table, that reflects poorly on both sides. That they should have respected cricket enough to say... That is an option that we can't have. We, we can't get to the point where we jeopardise that. Because imagine, just for a second, if the Ashes were to be cancelled, the, um, the bad will that that would generate. The idea that they would have exhibition games and people would turn up. I mean, maybe other people would be different. I wouldn't watch an exhibition game if you paid me $10,000. The fact that they let the deal lapse past June 30 at all yeah. is, is unforgivable. These two sides should have been in close, behind closed doors in March and April and saying, look, we hate each other, but we have to fix this for the good of a sport that... The first tour by England was in 1861. So for these people to be potentially jeopardising that, our 150-odd years of history, is very disappointing. Despite the fact that you acknowledge that everyone's entitled to robustly work out what's best for them, uh, there comes a point when you've got to say, the sport is bigger than us, we shouldn't be putting it in this position. 
I mentioned this on the show last week. I think Ashes is is a long way away. I think more concerns for Cricket Australia is possibly the India Tour. We know what it's going to substantially cost them, something like 60 to $80 million if they don't tour over there because that's what the BCCI will get them to do. And it's what's the ramifications of that are just not going to be short-term. It's going to be long, where BCCI will play some games with, with Cricket Australia. Perhaps next summer, when India is supposed to be out there, they might say, well... We don't want to come for the Boxing Day test. We'll start off in fifteenth of June, fifteenth uh, of January. How does that sit? You know, and we know what BCCI here can do. They're already having these tough negotiations with uh, South African Cricket Board at the moment on when they're going to tour South Africa at the at the end of the year. So Ashes is still a long term away. I, I think this needs to be get sorted before that one day tour of India. That one day tour of India, which is always shaped as for me is a meaningless tour now does um, <laughs> meaning it does have strong meaning and it's great it's like a safeguard for the ashes because you're right i mean cricket australia can't allow that to go ahead yeah. i think the bcci wouldn't want to punish because they recognize this was just kind of not that australia weren't having a go at india it was our own backyard yes. that couldn't not like with the west Indies pulling out through right at the last minute at the end of the day you want when the ashes are on you know people are started to worry about it maybe not now maybe we get the end of footy season and People are talking about the India Tour and IM as well and the Ashes. But you've got to remember, the domestic season also starts off pretty much in the last week of September. I mean, the Matador Cup yeah, is... Time's been, running out. The, Matador, the Bangladesh Tour as well. Bangladesh Tour, yeah, absolutely. And even if that's off and, you know, some way the domestic season has to be structured from almost the last week of September, the sponsors, what about the, the, the Matador Cup? I mean, if Matador don't get on board saying, we don't know what's going on with this, then what happens? So I think there's there's all these other... Uh, factors behind scenes that need to be sorted out. So apparently they're at the table now. That's the latest news that they're at the table. James Sutherland's there. The head of the ACA is there. They've got their negotiation teams and they're thrashing it out. Uh, You you hear reports that they're not close to a resolution. Then you hear reports that they're getting closer. At least they're talking though. I mean, that's the first thing. Yeah, it'd be like, Ben, as if you and I found a million dollars in the ground and we agreed that We'd each take four hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Give Gav twenty, and then then we spent the next um, few days arguing over the forty thousand. We got so angry at each other that we said, "Let's just set the whole thing alight." <laughs> um, that's where it's kind of at. Just, um, I understand you've got to be robust, as I said before, but come on, fellas, just um, let's get it sorted. Now, my f- my final mad menace for this week, and I'm mad at myself. I'm really mad at myself. I feel like I've been weak because I actually think Joe Root's coming across as a pretty good bloke. I mean, since he's been English captain, he's had a lot of press, he's been interviewed. I think Joe Root is a pretty likeable bloke, and I'm mad at myself for thinking that. It's just humor, humorous thing. you're so anti-English that you find that a hard sense. English to... captain. <laughs> it might be the precedent set by Alastair Cook. I mean, here we are, a Dow kind of leader. Yeah, Root's uh, got a sense of humor, he's young. Yeah, and I, I think he's a little bit more outspoken. He has from perspective. What, uh, on what he said from his captaincy, it looks like, you know, he might be willing to lose a test match in making. But this is just the start of his career. Uh, so, yeah, it could be a refreshing change and I hope we, we see a different brand of cricket from England. But you, you, you never know. Once you start losing test matches, he might just go into his shell. There's a long way between now and the Ashes. Here's if South Africa end up beating uh, England at home. Maybe if the Ashes don't go ahead, we can like um, schedule a bout between Root and Warner at the like, Gabba or something. Um. The funny, one of the funny things, with I heard an interview between uh, with, with Michael Vaughan and Graham Smith interviewing Joe Root after the first test. And so Vaughan and Smith, kind of two people who... I kind of eventually got weighed down by the captaincy, were probing Root, asking him and wanting him to sort of say how intimidated he was and how life-changing it was. And Root just kept on giving all these boring answers about, oh, yeah, I just didn't really do much different. And, and Vaughan saying, what was your first address to the team? And Because you'd been saying how that was crucial. And Root was like, oh, you could tell Root couldn't even remember what he'd said, that <laughs> he is just taking it very much in his stride. And I think it's it's the, it's the sign of a great sports person that, they almost are so naturally in tune with the sport that maybe they don't recognise how nervous they should be about these sorts of things and just go about and, and do it quite easily. But as you say, Gav, you lose a few matches and suddenly yeah. he might come <laughs> well, across to their side of the table. He admitted he's not, he doesn't sleep much during the test matches. So Smith's admitted the same thing. And I think we're at a, a great point in international cricket where we've got a great sort of batch of captains. You talk about Coley, yeah. Smith, Root, oh. Duplessis, and then Kane Williamson, those sort of top five leaders and players 
I think it's well, going to be an exciting battles between them all in the next yeah, couple of years. Joe Root was the last of the lot. I mean, Williamson and um, C- Coley had already t- t- taken over, and of course Smithy as well. So Root was the you know, la- young, the last of the lot. Uh, They're going to build up rivalries. They're going to be playing each other for a while. And, and, I mean, just one test match for Joe Root, but he started off with a century. I think all three of them did. Kane Williamson got a 90 in his first uh, test match as captain. So at this stage, it looks like none of them have been pressurised into that uh, in the, that situation doesn't look like it's had a toll on their batting, but it's a long way to go at the moment. I mean, you just look at, you know, Root will come to the Ashes. He'll be judged strongly on that. Uh, Virat Kohli goes away in another six months and they play South Africa away, England next year, and they come to Australia. He'll be judged on that in that kind of state until Smithy goes over across and we don't win the Ashes under him. He's going to be under constant barrage of pressure. Uh, incidentally, Root's innings in the first innings of the second Test match, where he got seventy odd, is just about the best innings I've ever seen. Um, he came out, the ball was moving yeah. everywhere, and he scored a fifty better than a runner ball, uh, just belting the ball to all parts with great control. It was a great surprise when he got out, but it was one of the like for an innings of seventy. Mm. Um, I can't think of someone who's batted so well in such yeah. difficult conditions when everyone else is struggling. Well, that was Mad Manners for this week, and. Uh... I want to let you know and remind you all about the Have A Go Your Mug promotion. Remember, if you can leave a review on iTunes or whatever app you listen to the show on, you will go in the draw for a Have A Go Your Mug mug. This week, we have one entrant going in. Uh, Stephen Williams put a Podbean review on, so thank you very much. So there's three entrants in here. I guess I'll get Paul to pluck one out. Uh, this is from USA Survival Kit by... Funny double three double three. I could not get through the week without listening. As a cricket tragic, you are helping me helping me live life in the USA without Aussie cricket. Very insightful coverage. Great sense of humour, disagreements, attitude, and a healthy and a healthy dislike of the Poms. Keeping it real. Love you guys. Five stars. Oh, thank you for that review and uh, congratulations on winning your mug. So if you want to get in touch with the Australian Cricket Podcast, we're on Gmail, OzCricketPod. That's A-U-S CricketPod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at OzCricketPod, on Instagram at OzCricketPod, on Facebook. And you can listen to sh- the show on all the podcast apps. And if you want to get in touch, uh, send us an email. We'd love some questions for listener mail. And we'll be back in a minute with the conclusion of the show. Another slow one, and guess what? This one's got an air hostess on it. Oh, it's a beauty. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. You're with Menas, Paul and Gav, and this is the final segment of the show. And we're going to end this week's show with what's made us happy in the cricketing week. So, Gav, what's made you happy in the cricketing week? The Women's World Cup, men, as I just can't get enough of it. I've been really um, excited by the way after covering the WBBL and how the women's game has evolved. I love watching the Women's World Cup. I think we're in for a, a, a thrilling finale. I hope all the semi-final, both the semi-finals are closed and we get a wonderful final um, at, at Lords and hopefully it's Australia uh, beating England. So I'm really excited and I just love the fact that women's cricket is finally getting the recognition it deserves. I love it. What about you, Paul? A quote from Warren Dutram, who's the head of Irish cricket. Now, as you know, Ireland and Afghanistan in the last couple of weeks um, have been given test match status. And he said, cricket is arguably representative of the new, of the new Ireland like no other sport. Globally, the visibility of this Irish national team dwarfs that of any other Irish sport and arguably any other Irish cultural export outside of river dance. In India, not many people have heard of Bono or Brian O'Driscoll, but they have heard of Kevin O'Brien and William Porterfield. And I just think that such a lovely notion that William Porterfield and Bono could be walking down the streets of India <laughs> and someone ask for a selfie and then gesture to Bono, you're the one who's going to take the photo because the famous person is next to you. I, I just think it's wonderful. I went to the Lord's Test of 2013 with my Irish friend Mikey from Dublin who has zero interest in cricket. We got through the day thanks to the fact that you can bring two bottles of wine into, um, <laughs> into Lord's. Um, and just the fact that a nation that has always, as, as far as I was aware, not had any interest in cricket, that there actually is uh, an, an interest in the game, that they've now got test status, that they're going to have a potential test match against England at Lord's in 2019. 
wonderful, as is Afghanistan. Um, they play, the MCC played Afghanistan at Lords a couple of days ago. Unfortunately, the game was a bit ruined by rain, but there was apparently over a million um, streams of the game uh, worldwide. For a sport that's always correctly criticised for not growing enough, I think these are two very happy stories. They are. What two feel-good stories? Women's <laughs> cricket on the rise, Irish cricket on the rise. Uh, and just what about that potential first test match between Australia and Ireland, say, in Dublin? I mean, that would be one hell of an event, wouldn't it? Can, can, can it be played on St. Pat's Day? <laughs> it would be a great event. Um, and So maybe, you know, we have the Boxing Day test match. They should have the St. Pat's Day <laughs> test match. They should have free flights over for everyone. It would be, yeah, it would be great. <laughs> and what? free booze at the ground. And free if they prepared a green top, um, you know, Australia might be all out for 50. <laughs> What's that story about when... Uh, the West Indies or Australia went to play Ireland and they got them so drunk the night before they were able to roll them the next morning. I remember um, reading Steve Wars Tour Diary in 1993 where uh, they, they played one game in Ireland and the, the consensus of the players was they had so much fun in Ireland that the 97 Tour should be they play um, you know every match in Ireland and then one game in England. <laughs> <laughs> and now, what's made me happy in the cricketing week? Well, I've got a couple of little tidbits. The first one was... Ian Botham snapping a photo of Shane Warne asleep on the Sky Sports cricket set in between. I guess it was, you know, when they off camera, he just nodded off for a nap. So obviously Warne had been up all night having a good time and couldn't quite get through the day. Well, you can't blame him. It's his fourth favourite pastime after Australian rules football, golf and poker. I mean, it's... It's Fifth, a bit of an imp- himself is in there somewhere. It's a bit it? of an imposition to actually have to watch a bit of cricket. I would have thought for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not the first time I, I've seen it. Actually, basically doing a he planted himself face down in a, in a press box, and he just right in where you enter the press box. This was in Cardiff. It's a temporary press. 2000 and Champions Trophy. So it doesn't surprise me, but it's always a feel-good talent to being able to sleep anywhere because I'm not one of those people that can just sleep anywhere. There yeah, is a ta- yeah, he's a talented guy, Warney, on and off the field. Oh, I can sleep anywhere, but no, no problem with that. But um, I wouldn't tend to sleep at a, at a cricket game that I'm being paid to watch. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the chair. And, and the last thing that made me happy, and I guess... This is kind of funny, and it's a young Derbyshire player, Shiv Thakur, was charged with exposing himself to women on two separate incidents in a housing development in a place called Mackworth in England. So an English county cricketer has gone off the rails a little bit and exposed himself to two women. And Well, if Monty's you know, urinating from top of nightclubs like three years ago disguise yeah what about when they took a leak on the pitch on on the oval was it yeah. the English team weren't they shouldn't they be charged yeah, exactly with decent and exposure it's the english mate yep so that's what's been happening in england paul's stunned at that <laughs> that was more a can't let it go or he can't let it go anyway um <laughs> all right well listeners i guess we should wrap this podcast up we've had it all this week we've had Rule changes, we've had this funny mad manners, we've had the World Cup. Paul and Gav, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Manners, it's been fun. Thanks, Gav. Thanks, uh, as usual. It's always great to be here and talking cricket with two wise men. Yeah, I, f- I, I owe Drew an apology, the English panellist from two shows ago. I said he was the first player to virtually beg to come on the show. And actually, I remembered Bob, Kiwi Bob, actually wrote me a, a gushy email begging to come on the show before he, his first ex- Appearance, so well, it's been two plays to bed. I think if Kiwi Bob, if New Zealand women's team had qualified for the semi-finals, you should have let him be in. But I think he's just moved down the pecking order again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, well, listeners, thanks again for downloading the show. If you missed it last week, we had a special interview with Elise Villani, the women's World Cup star. We also wrote an article about that, which you can find on the web. Um, Listeners, we're going to be back in two weeks, taking a break next week. Heavy negotiations for the podcast about the MOU. So (laughs) we'll we'll be in there with Sutherland and uh, the ACA next week. So hopefully we'll be back in two weeks with a result. What a marvellous stroke. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series.